Hello, everyone. Welcome to the In Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassenaar. Hello. And uh, this week, we haven't got much news or anything really to update you with, but we're going to talk about the uh, Ace Attorney Chronicles, Adventures in Football Manager. Uh, we're going to talk about Baldo. The Guardian Owls and its uh, weird non-title case uh, strapline. We're going to talk about CrossCode and uh, Tori's been checking out Islanders. So with that, let's just get straight into the things we've been playing. Andrew, you've been playing a game that few of us had an eye on because of its beautiful art style and its Zelda-like gameplay, which was Baldo, the Guardian Owls. Now you've been having a bit of a problem with it, a uh, little janky, I think you called it. A little janky? This is this is a crap game, and I do not recommend it. Oh. Beautiful, that's all it has going for it. Uh, it is very Zelda-like. It's played from a fixed, uh, like, kind of a three-quarters perspective and that, that's part of the problem is the perspective. It's kind of hard to see things sometimes, but uh, more of the problem is Baldo is just not very responsive to play as and moves very slowly. <laughs> so <laughs> if you have to pick something up and carry something across the map, which does happen fairly frequently in the early puzzles, it's going to take you a long time to carry it there. And then there's the first dungeon where... Uh, you don't even have your sword for the first part of it. That's the first item that you get in the first dungeon. This is a very Zelda-like game. It's uh, actually, I, I would compare it most to Link's Awakening, I think. But mm -hmm. the, all the enemies that are in there just have free reign on you, and most of them can kill you in about two hits. And there's a dodge mechanic that you have to do, like a dodge roll, that doesn't carry him very far, so you have to time it perfectly if you fall off a cliff or if you get knocked off a cliff that's an instant game over one redeeming factor it does reload pretty quick after you die which is good because uh i personally at least died a lot in that first dungeon and when i finally got out of it i i honestly just didn't even want to play the game anymore because it was so it was such a middling experience <laughs> like it was <laughs> it was not a great Zelda game, and it was bad to play. So that's disappointing. It's a it's, it was a huge disappointment because this is one of the indie games I was really looking forward to this year. But mm -hmm. yeah, the, that those trailers are coasting by on their graphics because this game plays terribly, and I do not recommend it. Yeah, the the fact that we didn't get a physical release kind of saved me from that, and uh, doesn't sound very good, which is a shame. So yeah, had high hopes for that one. All right, let's talk about the Ace Attorney Chronicles. Uh, I've admittedly not played a great deal. I'm still, you know, partway through the the opening case, which is still kind of just setting the scene. Um, so I'm I'm coming at this from someone who's not an avid series fan. Uh, I've played the original trilogy back on uh, 3DS. I completely missed it when you know, the, the series originally launched. Uh, and I had super mixed opinions coming away from that trilogy. Like, the second game was really good. The first one was okay. The last one was just mega annoying because the, uh, the leaps in logic to figure out the cases uh, in that game were just really frustrating. And its checkpoint system wasn't the best to sort of assist you through that. But, you know, it's been a while. There's been a lot of uh, Ace Attorney iterations uh, i've always been keen to check out a more modern version just to see the things they've learned and uh, i have since become a huge fan of the danganronpa series which we've mentioned before that's coming to switch uh, very soon 
love those games because they're like uh compared to the phoenix rights games they're like a high energy high pace just engaging and stylish take on this formula talking about the the great ace attorney um so yeah it does carry on much like the original ace attorney games it's a visual novel with you know like a courtroom system and investigations and uh, problem solving and you know each court case is a puzzle um in this one this one's different uh, because it takes place way in the past when uh, japan had just started dealing with the british empire uh, and we're taking on some of the british empire's technologies and their systems and there's a big cultural shift in japan uh, and you play as ryunosuke naruto I've probably butchered that, apologies if I have, and he is a ancestor of Phoenix Wright, and he's like studying in university, his uh, best friend is with him, uh, Kazuma Asagi, who's also studying law, Ryonosuke gets framed in a crime, in a murder, he's accused of killing a, a British professor who's come over here to help with the uh, the teaching stuff uh, and that's where we pick up the game you play as uh, Ryonosuke as his own defense in the first first case and then I think after this one they eventually go over to the UK uh, and meet fun takes on uh, popular English characters uh, such as Herlock Sholmes <laughs> as he's called in this one but so as you can tell from that it's it's still uh, despite the change in setting, it's still got the uh, a lot of charm, a lot of uh, puns, a lot of uh, poking fun of itself. The thing I'm really delighting in at the moment is the, the change in the visuals. So as I understand it, the series has come on a long way and uses, you know, 3D environments and... Uh, animated 3d models but coming from a place where i've only played the original trilogy and coming to this it's like the difference is night and day like it looks really beautiful the character models really capture the spirit of the old pixel art uh, right down to their sudden motions and the the funny faces they make when they're when they're caught but yeah so the the gameplay loop of it is mostly you know, getting the context of the story, finding out about a crime, uh, getting to investigate the crime and gathering your evidence. And then you take that into court where you try and uh, catch other characters in lies uh, and present evidence to win the case. Uh, this stuff just seems pretty much standard as it was uh, in the old ones. I'm hopeful there's going to be some uh, fun takes on the mechanics and, you know, some twists and turns along the way with, with that but at the moment it is just a case of making sure you present the right evidence at the right time and challenging the right things yeah it's 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 good so far uh, so far so good i am enjoying it interested to see where this story goes with its uh, older setting um and what types of crimes we're going to be investigating just uh i'm really hopeful that i don't get the same weird logic leaps that i had to deal with with uh, particularly the third game in that original trilogy, because that was kind of unbearable. Andrew, uh, I can't remember if you said, have you ever played one of these? I played the first and third ones, and I played Professor Layton versus Ace Attorney. And mm -hmm. I never really cared for the uh, <laughs> the logic puzzles in the any of the Phoenix Wright stuff in them. And mm -hmm. not real motivated to look at the rest of the series. Uh, just something I've been wanting to for a while, and this one seemed like a good choice. Uh, Tori, what about you? Um, I played the very first Ace Attorney with Phoenix Wright. Mm -hmm. I liked it, but um, not quite my genre. I'm not great at the concentration thing required for the puzzles and the reading. Mm -hmm. 
yeah i'm I'm hoping the because i haven't hit any problems yet i'm hoping the checkpointing is a lot better in this one um because you could be like a large portion of the way through a trial in the original and then just you know make a couple of mistakes and then it shifts you all the way back to the start of the dialogue uh for like 20 minutes worth of gameplay which is pretty frustrating so uh yeah, interested to see how that uh, pans out. I have been told uh, by a series fan that, you know, um, the checkpoints would be a little bit better. And plus there's also a way just to turn off failure. So you can just treat it as a visual novel if that's something you want to do. Mm. So F- FYI, if people want to do that and just enjoy a funny story, they can do that. Yeah, but that's it. I'll uh, I'll update you as I, as I progress. I looked at how long to beat and it's like 72 hours long. I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was going to be more in the... 20 to 30s so <laughs> wish me luck <laughs> so uh tori islanders we talked about this one this was the uh little cute um city builder from the nindy showcase uh, a few weeks back and um, you said on the slack that it seemed more of a puzzler when you actually got down to it yeah the whole city building thing is more of a theme of the puzzle game i guess you'd say there's really not much to talk about with this game it's a really simple game in its um mechanics it's pretty much just you're given an island it's got some trees on it it's surrounded by water obviously and it asks you what you want to build and basically it's more about optimizing the layouts of what buildings come up uh like you can build lumber yards that basically will You'll get extra points for building it near trees, obviously. But then you can build certain um, buildings that will also give you a point boost by building next to the uh, lumber yards. You might lose points for building certain buildings close to each other. Some of them are kind of more like farms that will require fields around them. There's different kinds of farms. One that's more like grains and one that's more hops so that you can build a brewery. And it's all about collecting those points. So if you remember in the indie world, in the bottom left, there's like a little point thing. Mm -hmm. Basically, once you hit that threshold, you get given the option to move to a new island and start all over again. So there's no real... These buildings don't produce anything. There's no real end game to having a certain amount of all of these buildings. It's more about the initial placement of buildings and trying to optimize it for points and basically if you get to a point where you run out of buildings to place and you haven't hit that point threshold then it's game over and then you start all over again so it really is just like a you know like mini metro Mm -hmm. it's giving me that sort of vibe it's like a this is what i want more mobile games to be to be honest is you can just play a session without there being any sort of long-term implications you know this isn't sim city this isn't civilization it really is just each game is its own separate thing so you just pick up and play there is a sandbox mode that i haven't really touched yet which seems to just be kind of like an infinite build thing so you can get your head around the placements of certain buildings for certain point combos yeah that, that's literally just the game is placing buildings and you'll go get points depending on what those buildings and uh fields and stuff are adjacent to and you want to get points to to continue the game to try and draw it out as long as possible to get the highest score <laughs> uh i really like it uh, for the price that it was, because when I checked it, I think it was about $7.50 Australian. Mm-hmm. So I assume $5 American. I mean, in my head, I still thought that it was going to be like a, a proper um, city planning, urban planning sort of game. 
but that's just kind of the the aesthetic the the facade of it it's really just a, a puzzle game that's all about strategic placement of buildings sounds interesting probably not my sort of jam i probably would have preferred it if it was a you know city builder <laughs> sandbox but uh how's the music on it because i feel like it would have a really chill soundtrack um i don't think i played with music on actually <laughs> uh, i'm i'm the sort of gamer that sometimes i'll be watching a movie or something while i play a game mm-hmm. so sometimes i have uh, sound off on my games but um I'll give an update next time. I'll explore the sandbox mode a bit more because mm-hmm. I, I dipped into it and it looked like it gave you a much larger island. So maybe I'll give an update next time of the the sounds and music and sandbox. But um, if you're just looking for a game that you can just pick up, play for five minutes and put down, Island is, is uh, it's very solid. Nice. Okay, well, uh, before we get on to uh, CrossCode, I'll, I'll go over my uh, football manager stuff. Apologies. For anyone that's aware, the uh, football season in England has just kicked off uh, and piped down. And uh, at this point, you know, everyone gets like really hyped up for the start of the season. And then, uh, you know, you want video game avenues to explore, you know, get work out this hype stuff. And none of the football games come out in time, like FIFA and PES or eFootball, as it's going to be forever known. Uh, they come out like early October. So it's like a whole month of like wasted hype. I get why they don't come out for the start of the season. Uh, a lot of things can happen. There's the transfer window. You know, they have to get that done before they can finalise player squads and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I get it. And then there's Football Manager, which is, you know, not, not one where you actually play the matches yourself. But that tends to come out, like, you know, mid-November, um, December for the Switch versions in, in particular, uh, and yes, I've just been like desperate to play something football related. So I uh, I reinstalled Football Manager 21 on my Switch and started picking up my Liverpool save. But uh, I was just really hankering to play it on the PC because it's it's a different version. The Switch version is like a, a stripped down version based on the uh, Football Manager Touch mode. Uh, so it's designed so you can get through the seasons quicker and just play through the matches and just focus on the core tactical stuff the full pc football manager is pretty much if it's like a role-playing game like there's so much uh depth to it and uh yeah so i've been playing the pc version a lot this week and the reason i'm raising this on to on a switch podcast i'm going to go into part of this is just me soundboarding ahead of the new one is that when i play these games when i put whenever i play any football game being a liverpool fan i always gravitate towards liverpool i i would even go as far to say that i'm more a liverpool fan than i am a football fan um in that i don't find playing as other teams enjoyable um in football manager stakes this means that when i play the game i'm kind of playing on easy mode because we've usually got a good enough squad uh, you usually start with a bit of money to spend and it doesn't take long to start getting success on the pitch as long as you manage things responsibly. So when it came to playing the PC version this last week, I wanted to do something different. So I started a save with my hometown city, uh, Bradford City, who are like several divisions lower than Liverpool. I guess like a lot of our listeners might be in the US or in Australia and neither none of the sports in these countries have like the sports pyramid that the european sports do um to explain like there are several levels of football leagues in the uk um and depending on how well or badly you do like teams will move up and down throughout these leagues like 
there there are stakes for teams who are coming at the bottom you know outside of outside of monetary stuff like uh, and on the flip side it's 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 possible for uh, a non-league team like a, a amateur league team with a lot of work and effort and many years they could eventually rise up to the top level that that's a, that's one of the beautiful things about english and european football compare that to something like the a league and and australia and there's there's no real um stakes if you're at the bottom end of the table because you're just ready to go the next season uh, and play the same teams and it's not really a big fuss uh so with this um taking on bradford city trying to trying to get them in a position to start working their way up the leagues i've actually found this a lot more rewarding than than playing as liverpool so my uh, my first season in this uh, bradford city save was awful like uh, we weren't winning a lot we were drawing a lot uh, and every time i got a defeat the the board in the game would get mega annoyed at me uh, so i ended up in this phase where it was just like having weekly meetings with the board where you have these um, multiple choice responses to like the board going, why aren't we playing well? Uh, and the whole time I'm just going, we're playing better than the, than the results suggest. And they're like, okay, but we're watching. And it would just be the continual cycle. And like I I figure I was probably one defeat away from getting the sack uh, in that first season. And there was a point during the week, I was it was like lunchtime at work. And I had like, I was feeling anxiety in the pit of my stomach like I haven't for ages. And I was, I just had this moment of like, crap, I'm stressed about my pretend job in <laughs> in football manager. Like that that's how uh, how uh, obsessive I was getting with it there. And yeah, so uh, the the uh, off season in that, I, I, I got physical pen and paper out. I worked through my squad, got rid of the dead wood, did a lot of wheeling and dealing to try and get bargains in. And now I've got like this uh, pretty well balanced squad now. And, you know, I've got, I've got them playing in the way that I want them to play. And with you know, near the top of the table and like just just figuring out those problems has been a much more rewarding uh, experience than just playing as the, the club I love and having the resources to keep doing well. So uh, yeah, so I've been playing that on PC. The reason I, I bring this up and the reason why it's a soundboarding thing is because uh, we're, we're coming up to Football Manager 2022. How this is going to work, I'm going to end up getting both the PC version and the Switch version and the PC version is going to be where I do my thing of trying to get a lower league club up the league uh, as well as I can before the new one comes out next year. Uh, and the Switch version, which I'll probably play on my light again, will be my casual <laughs> Liverpool save. But uh, yeah, I'm just uh, loving it again. And uh, I'm almost at the point now with it where it's like I don't want the new one to come because I'm so invested in, in this uh, current save with this, with this team. I'm probably going to uh, end up being one of those idiots that buys a shirt for a team he doesn't support with a player that's never played with them on the back of it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, also while I'm at it, um, you know, we, uh, as video game fans, we, we're also readers. We, we've talked to a couple of times about books worth reading before. Uh, we, you know, we, both me and Andrew uh, recommend Blood, Sweat and Pixels and uh, by Jason Schreier. Uh, haven't got around to his new one yet. Have you, Andrew? No, I haven't. But there, yeah, the the reason I mentioned that is because there's a couple of books available on on uh, Football Manager written by Ian McIntosh, and they're if if you're mildly into football or if you're aware of this game, they're they're pretty entertaining, and they've got some cool stories about uh, you know like real players' interactions with this game. Like there's a lot of real life players that play it, and interviews with the the players that were incorrectly 
labeled as wonder kids and had like wonderful careers in game for people but then never really took off in real life yeah there's, there's some really interesting stuff so i recommend uh, having a google for those and checking those out yeah so that's it um and andrew we're gonna finish with you you're gonna t- tell us about crosscode which i think you've been playing for a while now a couple months on weekends it's a it's a long one <laughs> <laughs> this is a, an indie rpg with retro 16-bit graphics and probably the longest retro rpg i've ever played i think it took me about 60 hours to finish and i still haven't done the uh the post credit stuff but uh as i said crosscode is an indie retro rpg it's set in a massively multiplayer online rpg uh it's kind of it's an rpg inside an mmo which is (laughs) the fun thing about it there there's this alien planet sometime in the distant future that humanity discovered and they tried to colonize it and they tried to use its resources but the planet itself literally started fighting back there's this whole thing with like the these things called the ancients of course and the the track that is like this quest or something that the aliens wanted completed so what did the humans do well they they turned the planet into an mmo where (laughs) you you literally log into avatars that are made out of like this ultra light material and uh you go through the quest to solve it and that actually doesn't it it sounds really important but that's actually just the background of the game everything that's happening in the game actually has has more to do with the mmo than it does with this alien planet that has this quest because that's what the post game is for i think i haven't done it yet but uh that that plot thread did not get resolved in in the the main quest and uh, i play as leah and leah's whole deal is she's been smuggled into crossworld by this character named sergey uh, and sergey says that she is in a coma in the real world and somewhere in crossworld they can find her memories uh, and that's he, he's trying to help her do that. Uh, there are twists, obviously. <laughs> the situation is is much more complicated than that, but uh, that's straight at the start, very meta. You know, it's an MMORPG that you're playing a completely different RPG within. Uh, you play as an amnesiac hero who actually knows she's amnesiac, and it's a serious problem in the game versus you know other games with amnesiac heroes where they just give them amnesia so they don't have to give them a personality or a backstory and <laughs> leah can't talk which uh is another rpg trope uh again creates quite a bit of drama because she can't really communicate her situation to the friends that she makes uh but basically the the point of the game is y- you play an mmo with Leah and she gets party members but the party members are real people so like to get them to join your party you have to contact them if they're online if they're not online at the time in the plot then they just you just can't play with them and they might be busy with stuff in real life like they they talk about having jobs and relationships and just uh, other commitments they have to do so that that's kind of an, an an interesting idea although I will say that's how it works on paper. In practice, really, everybody was around whenever I needed them to be because uh, <laughs> they still wanted to tell a story with these characters. So really, if somebody wasn't available, it was more for a plot reason than for a uh, because they uh, were at work or whatever. I'm going to sound really hyperbolic in some of the things I describe in this game, but I, I really 
really mean them. First thing, this is one of the best feeling games I've ever played just to move around in. <laughs> Leah is super responsive and she moves really fast, which maybe kind of colored my uh, feelings about Baldo because Baldo is the game I played straight out of Crossworlds. So I'm going from this <laughs> super fast and responsive character to this chunky idiot baldo who can barely dodge roll forward <laughs> when i press a button <laughs> and uh, there's all kinds of platforming puzzles because uh this game is played top down kind of like a, a 16-bit classic rpg uh, but there's actually a lot of platforming in it and leah can jump up any cliff that only reaches up to her waist and that's where a lot of the puzzles come in is you need to work your way up through basically these mazes you have to find the next waist high uh, cliff that you can jump up to and then work your way up through around that cliff that can sometimes go through multiple screens and the deeper into the game you get the more intricate these labyrinths basically become and it it was always enjoyable to explore them because uh leah is just so responsive and, and the mazes i just found them really interesting to get around in i, w I would even ignoring the combat which uh actually the way Crossworld the MMO is designed, you actually can ignore the combat if you want to. Uh, I, I was perfectly happy to just run around, just enjoying jumping and finding out how to climb up to the highest area, to the, the highest level in each area, and collect all the items that were in there. But as to the combat, uh, most things in the game aren't hostile to you until you attack them first. So if, you, if you're just trying to get back to town or you're just trying to focus on the story, you can just run right past them if you want. That's nice. But you also want to do want to fight things so that way you're keeping up with the uh, with the enemy levels. And Leah is a class in the MMO called a Spheromancer. So she has melee attacks and she also can stand at a distance and fire spheres and the first sphere that she fires is like supercharged it's super powerful it deals extra damage it's capable of ricocheting off of walls and you have to use that a lot to solve puzzles i'll get to the puzzles in a minute uh, and you can also change elements between four different elements and those are more or less effective against certain enemies it's pretty standard stuff what's really interesting about the the uh, combat is the combo system because as Leah attacks, she builds up these combo charges. Uh, by the end of the game, you think you can have nine or 12 of them. And the more of them you have, the more you charge them up, then you can unleash these more interesting combo attacks. Like with the ice element, she can drop a turret that'll fire for fire her projectiles for her and like her combo attack on fire will burn the enemy and just starts turning into this kung fu moveset. It's a, it took a really long time for this, this system to actually click with me. I think I was more than halfway done with the game before I really felt like I was engaging with every part of the combat system because there's a lot to it. There's, there's dodging, there's blocking, and there's combo moves that build off of the dash, your, your, uh, ranged attack your melee attack and your block it, it, it's it's a lot and the game doesn't do a great job of of 
teaching you the context that you need to move, use these abilities in. I think that is my, my biggest criticism of the game. doesn't do a great job of teaching me, at least, how, how to fight. But uh, it did finally start to click with me after a while. Uh, but all those abilities and all those elements also go into the puzzles. Now, again, I'm going to be really hyperbolic here. I'm, I'm going to sound hyperbolic here, but I, I really, really mean this. I think CrossCode in its dungeons has some of the best puzzles I've ever seen in a video game. I've, I've sh I, uh, you have to use your elements and your spheres to solve a lot of puzzles, and using your different elementals effects and the team who made this game did a really really great job of coming up with all kinds of new ideas just constant new ideas on how your different elements can interact with the environment uh like there's there there's a, a water bubble i think is one of the first things in the game that you find that you can interact with if you shoot it with the fire effect it'll turn it into steam and if the steam hits like a, a fan then that'll power the fan and whatever the fan is connected to will get powered up briefly and start functioning and later on you get the ice power up and if you hit that same bubble with that then it'll actually uh turn the uh the bubble into this solid block of ice which then ricochets around the room if you hit it again and it just keeps going on and on and on like that i i would be here all day if i described all the puzzles i encountered and at the end of every dungeon there's like this super puzzle that is like takes up like an entire room and each puzzle is 30 plus seconds long of things that you have to interact with in a uh, small amount of time and uh, I put clips of all of these up on Twitter if you want to look at them just look up my username play critically with the crosscode hashtag and you'll find them because uh, basically as Leah I had to run around and be uh, kind of like a cog in a Rube Goldberg machine to get this projectile moved from one side of the room to the other to activate a switch and just passing through sometimes dozens of different mechanisms to get the uh, the projectile from the start of the room to the switch that will open the final door and just just delightful to do and thankfully i i had somebody a twitter mutual who uh, said that he, he struggled with the puzzles and the only way he was able to beat the game was to use the the modifiers because you can actually modify the game to uh, turn down the amount of damage you take, and more importantly, slow down the speed of the puzzles. Now, I personally did not have to do this. I, I did get through the whole game without changing the modifiers at all, uh, but those options are there if you need them, and uh, if the puzzles look a little overwhelming to you, you can slow them to a crawl if you really want to, but I, I loved them and was delighted by them at the, at the, the default speed this game came out on switch last year and i really wish i had played it last year because i think it would have been my game of the year if i had wow yeah it's a, it's a great game if you're into uh indie rpgs if you're into retro rpgs if you played like action rpgs of the 16-bit era do not skip this game it's it's great um yeah definitely had an interest in that uh the thing that puts me off is the length uh, but the thing that makes me more interested is everything you've just said. So it's a sixty-hour RPG, sixty-hour, sixteen-bit <laughs> RPG. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe once I finish my seventy-two-hour visual novel, eh? Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's it for the week.
Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Andrew, we'll start with you. I got the physical version of a, a game called Star Renegades that has really great sprite art. There's mm. nothing else on the eShop next week I want to play. I'll probably play that. Nice, and I think Tori and I are in the same boat, and we're going to check out WarioWare, as long as it arrives in time. I've got it already downloaded. Oh, yeah, forget your digital only. Damn you. Thanks for listening to episode 165 of the Enfocus podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. Uh, you can listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, uh, PlayState uh, and The Power of X. I believe there's new episodes of both of those coming fairly soon. Um, make sure to check out uh, our Game Podular discord server uh, all shows are part of the game podular network uh, there you can interact with our lively community uh, follow us on twitter youtube facebook and at gamepodular.com for updates news and other content links are in the show notes if you'd like to support our shows and the network you can buy us a coffee or become a game podular patreon details for both these things are on our website thanks in advance this episode was edited by me andy corrigan you can follow me on twitter at flame roast toast uh, you can follow the other two panellists as well. Uh, Andrew, you can find at Play Critically. And you can also read his long-form reviews over at playcritically.com. And uh, Tori is at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O. Stew2.